The words dead and church don't belong in the same sentence. And yet Jesus said of the church in Sardis, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Is Jesus talking about a zombie? Are you attending the first church of the zombies? The poet says, outwardly splendid as of old, inwardly lifeless, dead and cold, her force and fire all spent and gone. Like the dead moon, she still shines on. That describes too many churches in the world today. I wouldn't walk across the street to attend a dead church, no matter how beautiful the building is or how nice the people are on the inside. But a church that's alive is worth the drive. I'm Ron Jones, something good starts right now. There are loveless churches, corrupt churches, and at times, there are dead churches. Hello and welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. My name is Brian, we're glad to have you with us. And what does God mean when he says a church is dead? What does it take to resurrect it? Today, Ron introduces us to the church at Sardis and explains how this particular church can be a sobering reminder for us today. Stay right here or visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen anytime on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. From his teaching series based on the book of Revelation, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. Here's Ron with today's Something Good Radio message, The Lukewarm Church in the Last Days. Now in chapter 3, in verses 1 to 6, we have a letter from Jesus to a church in a place called Sardis. And we call this one the dead church. You say, Pastor, that's, that's a harsh accusation or assessment of it. No, those are the words of Jesus to this church in a place called Sardis. This is the place where you strap on your seatbelts and you kind of get ready for a, a very difficult assessment here. Jesus says in verse 1, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You're dead. Again, what a, what a hard, hard assessment, diagnosis of what was happening inside the church in Sardis, kind of an oxymoron almost to have the word dead and church in the same sentence. We don't think of a church as being dead, but very much alive with people. But no, this church in Sardis could be named the first church of the zombies. Now, zombies are real popular today, aren't they? The night of the walking dead and, and all of that. A zombie is something that appears very much alive, but is actually dead. And that's what Jesus says about this church. You have a reputation for being alive but when I look on the inside, you're dead. You're dead. And it kind of reminds me of maybe what the poet could have written about the church at Sardis. Outwardly splendid, as of old, inwardly lifeless, dead and cold, her force and fire all spent and gone, like the dead moon, she still shines on. That was the church at Sardis. I wouldn't walk across the street to attend a dead church, and neither would you. But a church that's alive is worth the drive from wherever you are, right? Church that's alive is worth the drive. Why, why did Jesus call this one a dead church? Is there any, are there any clues in the letter 
that he sent to them that help us understand what brought this church to death? Well, I think there are some clues. And keep in mind that in every one of these letters, Jesus introduces himself, kind of reintroduces himself by reaching back into chapter 1 and grabbing one of the uh, visions of the glorified and resurrected Jesus and, and applies it to this particular church. He sort of customizes that vision to each of the churches, giving us some indication that maybe uh, how he introduces himself, how he customizes his vision to them, gives us some indication of what might have been going on inside that church. So to the church at Sardis, he says, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. That leads me to believe that Perhaps one of the reasons this was a dead church is because the Holy Spirit was not welcome in this place. The reference here to the seven spirits was a reference to the Holy Spirit. We saw that in chapter 1. You go all the way back to the Old Testament book of Isaiah for what the seven spirits uh, was all about. It's not that there are seven Holy Spirits. No, the Trinity is one God who expresses Himself in three distinct persons and personalities, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the expression of the Holy Spirit from the Old Testament book of Isaiah is the, the, the seven spirits of God. So th this is just an Old Testament reference to the Holy Spirit. And because Jesus had to kind of reintroduce the Holy Spirit to this church, you kind of get the sense that maybe the Holy Spirit was absent in this place or wasn't very welcome in this place. And this, there, there is certainly a, a lot of... Uh, theology about the Holy Spirit that gets misunderstood and miscommunicated in our world today. But make no mistake about it, friends, the Holy Spirit is, is vital to the life of any church. Uh, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater because you don't want to go to some extreme in your pneumatology, your theology of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is, is who empowers and enlightens the church. We, we know that from Acts chapter 2. Jesus told His disciples, you stay here you wait and you pray until the Holy Spirit comes, because I'm going back to the Father, but you can't do this on your own. And what we learned very early on is that the only way the church successfully carries out her mission is through the enabling power and resources of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. Now, a lot of the confusion around the theology of the Holy Spirit happens relative to the terminology of pneumatology, okay? And two terms that are important to understand related to the Holy Spirit is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. A lot of confusion on that. When it happens, how it happens, what's the evidence of it, and so on and so forth. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, as I understand it best from Scripture, happens once and it happens at the moment of salvation. And the question is, do you have the Holy Spirit? And if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, guess what? You got the Holy Spirit. You got all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. He comes to live inside of us at the moment of salvation. And Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14 said, it's God's down payment on our salvation. Uh, it's, it's real estate language there. The earnest money deposit is the Holy Spirit. So if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, you got the Holy Spirit. You got Him at the moment of salvation. Romans says, if you do not have the Spirit of God, you do not belong to Him. So the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life who comes at the moment of salvation is evidence that you are a child of God and belong to Him by faith. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're never commanded in Scripture to be baptized in the Spirit. It just happens at the moment of salvation, and you get Him. You got all the Spirit you're ever going to get. 
The filling of the Holy Spirit, though, the Bible tells us and commands us, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not about whether you have Him. That's about whether He has you. That's not about content. It's about control. That's why Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just as alcohol will consume you and control you, no, in a sense, be drunk with the Holy Spirit. Let Him fill you. Let Him control you. How does that happen? Day by day, moment by moment, when we say yes to the Spirit and no to the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's how you live the Christian life. That's how you experience success in the Christian life. And and any understanding or any attempt to live the Christian life apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit empowering us and enlightening us and giving us the enabling resources to live the Christian life successfully, well, leads to a dead church. Now, there are a lot, of, a lot of churches where you don't talk about the Holy Spirit. You know, we, we don't want to go to this extreme over here, so he's the silent member of the Trinity. And that was probably the church in Sardis, and Jesus had to reintroduce them to the seven spirits of God. But there's more here. Not just that, he also mentions the seven stars. Remember the seven stars that Jesus held in his right hands, uh, the mystery of the seven stars, those were the seven angels, or we said messengers, probably the pastors of those churches. Why does Jesus mention them here? Well, probably because there was a leadership problem at the church in Sardis, and it had something to do with maybe the fact that godly, spirit-filled leaders were absent. Oh, there were leaders in the church, but they were fleshly leaders. They weren't spirit-filled leaders who are walking by and keeping in step with the Spirit of God as the New Testament teaches us to do. I always say that the most dangerous person in the church is the leader in the church, the pastor or ministry leader, who's walking in the flesh and not in the Spirit. Because decisions then are not made through prayer and through spiritual discernment and through uh, the saturation of the heart with the Word of God. They're, They're just you know, business decisions or fleshly decisions. And that's probably what was going on here in the church in Sardis. Now, a third reason that they might have been dead, as Jesus says, is because the church was full of Christians in name only. Because when Jesus says, I know your works and you have a reputation for being alive, he says, but you are dead. I'm reminded of what Jesus says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, or what Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, and he says, Uh, Before you came to Christ, he's speaking to Christians, you were, past tense, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. It's an important diagnosis of our spiritual condition apart from Christ, that we're dead spiritually. And, And this is why Jesus said to a religious leader named Nicodemus, a Pharisee in the first century, he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. It's not optional here. And what he was talking about was, You know, there are some people who are spiritual zombies, physically alive, but spiritually dead. That part of us that was created to have a relationship with God needs to be brought to life. So we're we're born into this world, in effect, spiritual zombies, physically alive, but that part of us that was created to have a relationship with God is dead. And Jesus says, you must be born again. So, one of the primary definitions of a dead church is where the vast majority of people in that church and maybe even the leaders of that church are not born again. 
They've not experienced the regenerating power of Jesus Christ and the regenerating power and, and ministry of the Holy Spirit in their life. They're still dead spiritually. There's still more to come from Dr. Ron Jones, so stay right here. Listen to Ron's messages on demand on your schedule at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. And when you stop by, be sure to check out Starting Point, a Disciple's First Steps. It's a free online discipleship coaching experience created by Dr. Ron Jones. Look for Something Good courses when you visit our new streaming platform at somethinggoodradio.org. That's Starting Point, a Disciple's First Steps where you'll discover what it means to be a disciple and learn how to train others to be true followers of Christ. Of the seven churches in Revelation who received letters from God, only one of them was found blameless. Here's Ron with the rest of today's message, The Lukewarm Church in the Last Days. And then a fourth reason as you look into this letter is because uh, perhaps uh, they were complacent believers and this led to their death. I don't have time to read the entire letter. You can do that on your own. But as you do, you'll notice that Jesus tells them twice to wake up. He says in verse 2, Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. And he tells them again a little bit later uh, to wake up or he will come like a thief in the night and take what they already have. Uh, this was a church that had, had fallen asleep on the job and, and that led to their death. Historians tell us that the city of Sardis was the capital city of the Lydian Empire for, for many, many years, if not decades and centuries, and, and it was uh, impervious to the invading armies. They were, the city was high upon a hill, and it was very well protected. But there was twice in the history of the church where the invading armies penetrated and overtook the city. And historians say it was during a time when the people grew complacent and they stopped putting the watchman on the wall. What a picture this is of the church today, how important it is for us to watch and to wait for the second coming of Jesus Christ, to, to watch with diligence and vigilance because we're in a spiritual battle. And until Jesus comes again, uh, the invading armies, the world, the flesh, the devil, will do whatever he can to invade the church and to take her off in a different direction. We can't afford to be complacent in these times or else maybe Jesus will come and say, I, I, I pronounce death over this church. It's a hard assessment. This, this is the, one of the most difficult letters. There's, there's nothing positive said about this church. Jesus arrived and said, it's dead. So let's move on to the next one before we all too get, get a little bit too convicted on this, right? The next one is the Church of Philadelphia, and it's a bright light among the seven. There, just like there's nothing positive said about the church in Sardis, there's nothing much, uh, there's nothing at all negative said about the church in Philadelphia. Uh, this is the faithful church. It's a faithful church because in verse 8, Jesus says these words, you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Boy, wouldn't that be great that it's said of this church and the people who go to this church. You, you've kept my word. And against the, the, the cultural resistance, you've not denied my name. The church in every generation fights against the cultural resistance, fights against the world, the flesh, and the devil. This was a church, the Philadelphia church, not up the road in Pennsylvania. No, 2,000 years ago in Asia Minor, along the western coast of modern-day Turkey, there was the city of Philadelphia. 
about 35 miles north of Sardis, and this was a great, great church. And Jesus spends most of the time talking about the rewards of their faithfulness. You've done a great job, he says, keeping my word and not denying my name. And because of that, there were some rewards. I call them rewards of faithfulness given to the Philadelphia church. And by the way, of all these seven letters, whatever is said of these churches corporately, uh, understand the church is, is not a building, it's, it's a people. It's not an organization, it's an organism. And so whatever applies to this church corporately applies to the individuals in that church. And so receive the application of these letters in a very personal kind of way. You, you stay true to the Word of God. You, you, you choose not to deny His name, even though the culture is pushing against us to do so. And there are some rewards to faithfulness. What are those rewards? Well, the first is a fresh revelation of Jesus and a greater intimacy with Him. Why do I say that? Here's how Jesus introduces Himself to the church in Philadelphia, verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. Before we get to the specifics of the open and closed door, what I want you to notice is this is, this is a revelation or vision of Jesus you won't find in chapter 1. In all the other letters, he reaches back into chapter 1 and pulls out, you know, what was already stated in chapter 1 and points that to that church. This is a little bit of extra Jesus that the church in Philadelphia gets. They get a fresh revelation, a fresh vision, a fresh intimacy with Jesus because they were faithful to His Word, and they, they did not deny His name. And it sort of reminds me of something Jesus said to His disciples on the night before He was crucified. In John chapter 14 and verse 23, He says, if anyone loves Me, he will keep My Word, and My Father will love him, and we will come to him, and we will abide with him. It's very intimate language. Jesus says, if you love Me, keep My commandments, and if you do, my Father will love you, and I will love you, and we'll come a little bit closer to you. We'll, we'll, we'll make our home with you, our abide, our abode with you. We will abide with you. And Jesus goes on in chapter 15 of John to talk about that, that intimacy, abide in me as my words abide in you, as the vine intimately abides in the vine. One of the benefits, one of the rewards of faithfulness is a, is a closer relationship with Jesus a closer revelation, a, a closer understanding of who he is. And he shares that with this church in Philadelphia. He, he, he pulls something out of the Old Testament, not something that's found in chapter 1, but something that's communicated earlier in the Scriptures. And he applies it to himself, and he shares that with the church at Philadelphia. Now, don't you want a, a deeper intimacy with Jesus, a fresher revelation and understanding, a vision of who he is? Well, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And if you keep my word and you don't deny my name, now th those are the kinds of people I want to hang out with, Jesus says. Second uh, benefit or reward of faithfulness is a new opportunity. And this goes back to that open and closed door thing. He says, uh, uh, the key of David who opens and no one will shut and who shuts and no one open. He goes on in verse 8 and says, behold, I have set before you, Church of Philadelphia, an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. 
this, this church had a new opportunity opened up to them, an open door. And yes, sometimes God leads us through open and closed doors. That happened to the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. He was traveling around on his journeys in the first century, and he wanted to go take the gospel into this place, and he says, the Holy Spirit resisted us. And then he went over here, and he says, the Spirit of Jesus, you know, said no. And then he had a vision one night of a man in Macedonia saying, come on over here. And he went over that direction. He says, a wide open door for ministry happened. Yes, sometimes God leads us by opening and closing doors. He's the one, the sovereign one who opens so that no one can shut and shuts so that no one can open. And maybe you've been trying to make a decision, discover the will of God for your life. You've been knocking on a lot of doors and none of them have been opening. Trust the sovereign God who opens so that no one can shut and who shuts so that no one can open. And until he opens a door to you, Stay faithful to his word, keep his word, and don't deny his name. And let him sovereignly choose the time when he opens and shuts and shuts and then opens again. And he says to this church in Philadelphia, this faithful, faithful church, he says, there is a door open before you and no one is able to shut it. You're listening to Something Good Radio. Today's message, The Lukewarm Church in the Last Days, along with all of Ron's messages, can be heard on demand on your schedule at somethinggoodradio.org. Check out our resource tab at the top of the homepage for books, teaching series, lots of great tools to help you in your journey with Jesus. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Have you ever wanted to visit the land of the Bible and walk in the footsteps of Jesus? Join Dr. Ron and Catherine Jones and the Something Good Radio team for a thrilling Israel tour happening in January 2022. Experience a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. Walk down the Via Dolorosa. Visit Gethsemane where Jesus prayed and Calvary where he shed his blood for you. Step inside the empty tomb and see for yourself that your Savior is risen indeed. Is the Holy Land on your bucket list? Experience Israel 2022. Register at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Almost everyone who goes with us to the Holy Land says it's one of the best decisions they've ever made. When you visit somethinggoodradio.org, look for Something Good Travel to learn more and register for Experience Israel 2022, plus other upcoming Something Good Travel experiences. Need prayer today? Stop by the new somethinggoodradio.org and share your request with us. Click on Explore and then scroll down to the How Can We Pray For You option. That's somethinggoodradio.org. We also want to say thank you because your prayers and financial support make it possible for Ron to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your donations do make a difference. And when you give a gift this month, Ron will say thank you by sending you the complete audio download of the series you're hearing now, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. That's Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. Request it today when you make a gift to Something Good Radio. Donate online at somethinggoodradio.org, or you can mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. And you can also call our offices, 757-276-1099. 
What Jesus said about this church was, was near-term to them in the first century. This was a real church with real people who was diagnosed as being lukewarm. But if we understand these seven churches to be representative of the flow of church history from the beginning of the church age 2,000 years ago up to the last days and the final days of the last days, then the church in Laodicea uh, probably best represents not only the church as it is just prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ, but also, if you believe we are in the final days of the last days, the church in our time. And that's a chilling, chilling indictment of God's people 2,000 years ago, and perhaps God's people today as well. That's tomorrow in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' message, The Lukewarm Church in the Last Days. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying so long and thanks for listening.